Have you ever experienced something in life that was unexpected and alarming, and after it happened, you ask yourself the question, what needs to be done? And then once you determine what needs to be done, then you ask yourself the question, why should I be the one who has to do it? Well, that happened to, uh, to me this past uh, weekend on a Saturday, not only to me, but some other people in our neighborhood, because about 8 o'clock and 8 to 9 o'clock at night, there was this loud boom, and every light in our house, in fact, every light in our block's houses, just went out. And initially, uh, my wife, who, who gets alarmed at any sound that she can't explain, she jumped up and tried to figure out what it was, and I was kind of sitting back. Well, she's out there. I don't need to go out there. And all of a sudden, she runs in and said, it's on fire. It's on fire. And so then I drug myself out, and, and I discovered that uh, to the house to my left, uh, there was this this tower of flames just going up to the sky, and right next to it, there were a couple of eucalyptus trees, and by that time, there were a variety of people in our neighborhood that gathered around, and somebody was yelling out, who's got a hose? Who's got a hose? And I'm looking around, and, and I'm thinking for a moment, uh, my natural bent is uh, to do something rather than nothing, but in this particular experience, I, I thought just for a moment, and I thought, you know, this is not some ordinary fire. This fire was produced because our transformer, our electric transformer in our street blew up. Uh, but as I was uh, kind of waiting to see if anybody else would do something, um, Brian Burns, who lives right across from us, he was running to get his hose. And so I thought, well, Brian knows everything. I mean, he, he looks he worked for Savant Construction. So then I, I went and grabbed my hose, and, and Brian is squirting down the eucalyptus trees, and I'm saying, well, he's got that covered, so I guess I go to the electrical fire. And so I'm pouring water out of this huge, um, rather large uh, place where these flames are bursting out. Now, now, the good news was is that the fire went out. We were able to get the, the source of the fire uh, dealt with, and there was no flames that were destroying the trees. And, and then we waited for the fire department that someone else had called uh, to bring a, an engine. So the fire department came up, and by that time, everything was out. And so uh, what they did, or someone else did, they, they called the electrical company, Edison. And Edison came, and they did some inspection thing as well. And as uh, Brian and I were pretty proud about ourselves because we rescued everybody on our block. We, we saved our homes and the lives of our, our spouses and little ones, and, and we thought that we would get all the applause from everyone. In fact, particularly for in the fire department, we, we were kind of hoping uh, that uh, we, we would at least get a you know, red plastic hat or some stickers uh, actually, Brian's uh, son and Jenny's son, um, Logan, uh, one of the firemen looked like he was going to give him his real legitimate fire coat, and then he, then he took it back. And, and so we were looking for something, but we got nothing. Uh, but then after the fact, it was interesting, I was talking to, to Dean, uh, who's a retired fire chief way up there in the fire department, and we were talking about that, and you know, I was still pretty proud about myself, and Brian was kind of... Uh, uh, pretty excited about what he had done as well. And, and then um, all of a sudden, Dean told me, well, you know, with an electrical fire, when the fire department shows up, we don't do anything with electrical fires be- because that could be dangerous. And, and, and so here I am thinking, you know, what needs to be done? We need to put out the fire. Who needs to get it done? And I, I was kind of shamed in being part of the process of, of getting that fire out. And then I realized I didn't do something wise. <laughs> I did something foolish. 
Well, that often happens in life. We, we, we experience something, and it could be just the normal, everyday part of life, or it could be some emergency. And when, when those things happen, we ask ourselves two questions. One is, what needs to be done? And then, why am I supposed to be the one that needs to do it? Well, really, that's what life is as God unfolds his plan for people uh, in the past and now in the present, but also in the future, is that he wants us to know that we need to know what we need to do, and then we need to understand motivationally why we need to, why we need to do it. And so that's really what we're looking at now is we're going through a series on God's way out in the book of Exodus and looking now at the commandments of God, not just the top 10, but the other ones listed. And I had a question asked me this week in one of our small group Bible studies, and it was a pretty perceptive question, which is, well, if we're not under the law of Moses, the one that was given on Mount Sinai, then why are we looking at all these commandments? And we're going to hopefully answer that as we look at this section today, as we, as we look at the question, what and why does God want something and some behavior from his people? Well, let's look at it as we, as we begin this study uh, today. What does God want us to do? And let me just give you the answer of that uh, before we look at the specific things. God wants us, as his people, to live out his eternal principles. It, it really has the idea of knowing that God is our Father and the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But as, as God uh, the Father portrays and, and com- communicates to us his laws, his commandments, his principles of life, it really is uh, getting down to the basics, which is you know, our Father knows best. And as we look back in the Old Testament and we see some of those laws that don't apply to us, there were civil and ceremonial laws that have uh, been fulfilled by Jesus when he came, but some of them are repeated in principle in the New Testament. And, and we can look back at some of those commandments, and let me just, uh, just uh, help you feel a little bit uh, uh, safe concerning this series. We're, we're not going to look at every commandment uh, that was laid out to the people of Israel. Uh, but we're going to look at some of them to kind of glean some principles of life. And if they are eternal good principles, it, it really govern what it means if we really do love God and do know Him. Uh, what, what are we supposed to live out? And, and so let's look at it uh, this morning or this afternoon or this evening, whenever you're, you're seeing this particular service. Uh, but let's look at what, what God says to His people. Uh, First of all, I I would put it this way very simply, is is that God is calling us uh, and telling us that lives in the womb uh, matter to God, so protect them. And and this is really not uh, Roe v. Wade anniversary in January, and we don't speak on the whole pro-life movement in in a red or consistent way, but but really as I was looking through these commandments, it it has always been true eternally that, that lives matter to God. And lives particularly matter to God that are in the womb. And so we're going to see this in Exodus chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Um, Moses records these words from God, and it says, If men struggle with each other, and, and I'll just stop right there. If men struggle with each other, and often the problems in the world are, are the men, and basically struggling with each other, they, they broke out in a fist fight, and they were battling each other. Uh, but often what happens in life is unintended consequences. And so as they were fighting with each other, there was a woman near them, probably the wife of, of one of the men, and, and she was pregnant. Because it goes on and says, If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child, 
so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there's no injury. He shall surely be fine, as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. And so this wasn't just a personal case, but it was a civil case. And the judges would make sure that the price amount was right. But it really raises the value of what was in the womb as well as the woman. But if there wasn't particular injury that was long-lasting, a fine would be sufficient. But then it goes on, verse 23, and says this, But if there's any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life. And really implied in this text here is if there is further injury either to the, the woman or the life in the womb, then there is a penalty, there is a consequence, there is a punishment that must be experienced by the one who maybe not intentionally did this, but in the midst of a struggle and a fight struck a woman so that that child in the womb um, probably was, died and there was a miscarriage. Now, the whole point I'm trying to make here is that as you look at what God has said, not only here but in other places, that, that what is in the womb of a woman matters to God because it's not a, simply a collection of, of cells. Uh, we call that a fetus in our day, uh, but it's a real life, and a life matters. Now, now, sometimes we get it in our society, and sometimes we don't. It's all based on our bent in a particular moment. The Washington Post, which I would not consider a particularly conservative newspaper, had a headline just a few weeks ago. It's a good news story, and don't we need to have good news? Uh, It's a good news story, and then here was the headline. A a pregnant woman with COVID-19, and the COVID-19 pandemic is not good news for anyone, and so this this woman and her husband, Ebony and Seguin Olsenide, and I hope that I pronounced that right, uh, they had been trying for years in so many different ways to, to bring uh, a family into their experience. And so finally, uh, she became pregnant, and, and the, the lies within the womb were continuing, and she got to that place where they, they, they were viable, but then she got COVID-19. Uh, to, to the place that, that as the doctors were, were ministering to her and the lives in the womb, they, they, uh, they were really at that point where they didn't think anyone would survive. But, but here again is the headline. A pregnant woman with COVID-19 was dying. With one decision, her doctor saved three lives. And I hope you don't miss the irony of that. If they had only been able to to somehow preserve the life of the mother, they would say, with one decision, they saved one life and two fetuses uh, perished. We need to recognize that if it's viable in the next moment outside the womb, then it's got to be viable inside the womb in terms of, of being a real life. And that is, uh, really illustrates so much in so many different ways in our culture as we're, as we're now just trying to preserve not only life, but the quality of life. And let, let's, let's begin with the people that are, are most at danger, and that's those who are living within the womb. Uh, if you do statistics, uh, there's, there's almost 900,000, closer to a million lives that are aborted in the womb every year in America. And, and so often we just we make that a political statement, and we forget that in God's heart and mind, Lives matter in the womb, and we ought to do whatever we can to protect them. There was another article written recently 
again in the Washington Post, and this was, this was the statement, two, two protesters arrested while chalking black pre-born lies matter on sidewalk. Here in Washington, D.C., as, as there were all kinds of protests going on and, and, and really announcing that we have a racial issue in our, and a racial uh, problem in our, in our nation, uh, th- there were others that wanted to, to make a statement about lives. And, and so they wanted, in the midst of everyone else, even the mayor, Mayor Muriel Bowser, that was spray-painting all kinds of signs in, in, in the city on buildings and in streets and things like that, they wanted to go to Planned Parenthood, and they wanted to write a very simple statement. And that statement was, black pre-born lies matter. Now, that what they want to do is spray paint it, but they, they heard that they were going to do this, and so they were told they, can only, they could only use chalk to put down this sign. And, and then what happened the next day at 6 a.m. as they were putting that sign on, the police came and arrested them. And, and what I want to say to you is we think about Lies in the womb matter to God, so protect them. And that seems like a, an obvious statement, but it's always been at the heart of God from the very beginning, is that that's not true today. So many people just don't have their hearts broken what's happening over and over and over again. And, and this is not to put a, a guilt on those who have experienced abortions, because God is gracious and forgiving. But we should never diminish the life in the womb. Mother Teresa, when she was here, and they asked her about how she would evaluate um, our nation. This before she died. And she said this, is I think about what's most wrong in America is what's happening with lives in the womb. And you cannot attack her for not being concerned about people in their lives outside the womb because she dedicated her life to helping the most... Um, most desperate people in, in our world. But she says that's the greatest mark of, of depravity on our nation, what's happening in the womb. I was reading on a little bit later on this article, and I'd been seeing this for a number of weeks, and, and there's a Sherilyn, Sherilyn Holloway, the, the founder of Pro-Black, Pro-Life, uh, during this whole experience, gripped a bullhorn and urged listeners before her and on Facebook Live to consider how racism extends beyond pregnancy. And so, again, lives matter. Black lives matter in the womb and outside the womb. And, and then she made this comment. She says, I would, I would talk to my other black friends, and I want to insert here, it's her quote, but even more so to the white population who stand for racial justice and I would talk about the abortion rate in our community. And they would look back at me and say, well, what about when they're out of the womb? And she said, can't anyone care about people in the womb as well as outside the womb? And that's what she's dedicated her life for. And so as we think about living in an alarming and sometimes unexpecting experience of life, like COVID-19, we celebrate when when someone is rescued, not only her life was preserved through a devastating experience of COVID-19, but the two babies within her, two lives that matter to God, and everything was done to protect them, and they saw them as life, and so often that does not happen. And, and what does the Scripture say about that? As you think about that, the, the Bible portrays life starting in the womb. Psalm 139, verse 13 says this, For you formed my inward parts. You, you wove me in my mother's womb. 
And even as you look in the New Testament, and, and, and they've done studies, if babies within the womb, some call them fetuses, but babies within the womb, they, they experience real pain. Uh, the Bible says they could also experience real joy. And, and uh, how many mothers or fathers haven't talked to that, 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 that baby within the womb trying to communicate? And it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 44, For behold, when the, when the sound of your greeting, this is Mary visiting Elizabeth, and, and, and Elizabeth had John, we know him later as John the baptizer, uh, when your greeting came to me and to my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And so as you think about well, what does God want from us? He wants us to celebrate life and protect life. Everywhere, in the womb and to the, to the grave, we ought to do everything we can to, to save life and to protect life. Proverbs 31.8 says this, Open your mouth for the mute. And the idea there, open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Uh, later on, James speaks out to God's people to, to speak out and protect uh, widows and orphans. But those who can't speak for themselves more than any other group of people in our world today are, are the little ones in the womb. And so we, we will speak in terms of speaking out for uh, the whole pro-life movement. And uh, we can speak out by how we vote and being responsible to vote as we care about life in the womb and outside the womb as well. But as we look at a couple other things where as we think about God's principles for life, I, I want to look at another one. And I want to say it this way, and then we'll look at the text. And it comes really from, from some verses right following this passage. Uh, civil punishment must fit the crime, uh, so no personal revenge. R- really, as God gave these laws, and many of them were civil laws, he was to try to, to get God's people to live in it such a way that other people would notice it was, as it is today, and often barbaric in terms of how we treat one another. And so uh, we have a section here, which if we're not careful, we can misunderstand it, but it was really given for a purpose for understand how, how we ought to treat one another in a broken world. So in Exodus chapter 21, verses 24 through 27, we have these words. Right after he speaks about the injury, a life for a life, he goes on in verse 24 and 25 and says this, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And you're thinking in the commandments God gave, what in the world is he talking about here? It's, it's known throughout uh, the culture of, it's called lex talanus, which is Latin, which is really the, the idea of, of the principle of retaliation, the law of retaliation, the, the law of equivalences, or the, the law of reciprocity or the law of retribution. And really that what that's speaking about is when, when someone does harm or wrong, what needs to be done? In many periods of time, if you were in power, you could do whatever you want to punish the one who somehow offended you or did something to you or someone you cared about. But, but God laid down the law, the law of reciprocity, the law of retribution, the law of the fairness or equality is that Really, the idea here is that the punishment must fit the crime. And Jesus, later on, even went even further and said, look, you need to understand that we among all people ought to be more merciful and more caring and more gracious. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39, Jesus said this, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And haven't we all heard that? Okay, if someone hurts your eye, then if you're being exactly equal, you would hurt their eye. If someone 
um, hurt your tooth, you can take out their tooth, and hopefully not in anger. But, but he said, you're missing the whole point. We're talking about civil response to people's actions. Because he goes on a personal level, and this is where, where we need to see the application. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you in your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, what was he saying? If someone wants to, to just beat us up or, or just some, uh, somehow uh, damage us to the point we're almost dying because of what they've inflicted on us, no, he's really saying this. Look, at, there are often times where people... They insult us or they, they, they hurt our pride. And he said, look, at the whole, the whole issue of, of being willing to turn the other cheek is not that you can't protect yourself in a, in a physical way if someone is trying to harm you. But if someone is just trying to shame you or, or ridicule you, just, just take a step back. We get so easily offended. We take things personal when often people don't even realize what they've done. How many of us have had road rage when some cut, someone cut in front of us? How many have, have really overreacted because someone said something or they didn't say something? How, how many times have, have we been so sensitive that, that we're thinking about what someone has done and they haven't even realized they've done it? And so he said, look, just turn the other cheek. Just let it go. Let it go. And hopefully even right now you're thinking about some things you need to let go. Uh, some people hold on to things that, I mean, they're like grudges that they never get over. Just let it go. Uh, later on that passage, really speaking, look at, uh, if your dignity has been offended, let it go. If, if somehow a personal right that's not necessary, uh, let it go. If even a personal property issue is up, uh, up for uh, anger to be responding back, just let it go. So civil punishment must fit the crime, and he's talking about the government. He's talking about people in authority, and, and, and let what's been done wrong uh, be righted in a right way. And even an eye for an eye, somehow your eye was taken. It doesn't necessarily mean that someone would have surgery in her eye, but, but do something that would really, really communicate that your personal welfare has been, has been hit as hard, and maybe in a different way, like the person who's I was taken because of something you did. It's interesting. In verses 26 and 27, he goes, If a man strikes the eye of, of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye. And if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. And really, as we were speaking a little bit about slavery last week, you need to recognize, has God allowed that because of the hardness of people's heart? And what God allows isn't what God approves. Uh, but what he said here, basically, he said, look at, look at, if somehow you break God's principle of fairness and rightness, and, and you, you, in a fit of anger or whatever reason, uh, abuse someone, uh, where can you hit, uh, you know, a master uh, in the hardest way? Is, is to take away uh, something that affects them economically. And what he was saying here, look, if, if you have someone who's working for you and you've abused them, uh, then you, did, you need to let them go and they're now set free. And we know in other places where, at least with, with those who were sold into slavery from the Hebrew culture, uh, they weren't to be uh, let go uh, uncompensated. And so they were to be generous in letting them go. You know, the Bible talks a little bit, a lot about our tendency to fall into vengeance is mine. In Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19, Paul writes this, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. 
And again, he's not talking about a civil case. He's not talking about uh, nations against nations um, in which the protection of a population might be necessary. But on a personal level, never, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Uh, I, I used to, I thought it was in a <laughs> jovial way. I, you know, in, in personal encounters with people, when somebody does something for you and say, I'm going to get back even. And, and I would say, I don't want to get back even. I want to get back better. I, I, I want to do more to you than you've done to me. And hopefully most of the times I said that, I was just joking. But, you know, we have a tendency to do that. We want to get back at people. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If some relationship is fractured, what can you do to make it right? Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And part of the reason is that we try to respond so demonstrably to, to people who've hurt us because we, we, it's that fairness doctrine. Well, that wasn't fair. That wasn't right. And so we feel that we need to take the initiative to make it right. And God is so often saying, what do I want you to do? I, I, I want you to let it go. Uh, it, God, God is just, and whatever needs to be righted will be righted by the God who holds everyone to account. So as we think about what, what does God wants to do, and we're just taking a few from uh, the, the commandments listed in the God's way out to his people as he, as he established his people to be a, a public testimony for him. Uh, number one, lies in the womb matter to God, so protect them. We need to speak out for those that no one else can speak out for, particularly if they're in the womb. And we need to speak out for those who, who are voiceless in our society. Uh, punishment must fit the crime. It ought to be fair, and we ought, we ought, to, we ought to push for fair laws and fair application of those laws. Uh, but we need to recognize, if we're the victim, that, that we need to recognize uh, we don't have the right for personal vengeance. And then thirdly, and I put this in, I guess if we're going to hit issues, this kind of relates to the Me Too movement, male predators should be held accountable, uh, so we ought to hold them accountable. Uh, in this sexual revolution over the last number of decades, decades we're recognizing that, that we live in a chaotic society. And that's always been true, is that people become predators of others. And in Exodus chapter 22, verse 16 and 17, I just want to read a couple of verses here. Um, we have these words recorded by, by Moses, and he says this, If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her, he must pay a dowry for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry for virgin. And really what he's saying here, if someone, a male predator, takes someone that has had no sexual relationships, is not tied to another person, and robs them of their virginity, then they need to pay up. And the pay up is not only do they still have to pay the dowry, and that's a whole other study in, in, in explaining the, the culture of that day. In our day, the, the, uh, the father of the bride, he pays all the money to get the, his daughter married. He pays, he's the, he pays the bill at the wedding. In those days, the father or the son, they had, a, they had to get the dowry to pay the, the family who was now losing someone in their home that was contributing to their livelihood. Uh, but, he, but he made very clear here, look, you're held accountable. 
And can you imagine what happened in our culture of anyone who, who robs someone else of their virginity that, that, meant that, that costs them? So often people get away with everything. And not only that, if that father in the home is willing to give his daughter to him, that he has to marry her. But if the father says, this is not a good match, this would be horrible for my father, then he just has to pay up. But I want to look at another passage in Deuteronomy chapter 22, and it goes on a little bit more detail here. And again, the whole idea here is we think about God's plan for his people, it's for the justice of the land. It's for, for people to live rightly and to be held accountable. And that's what it really means. Male predators should be held accountable, and so we ought to hold them accountable. And that, that's part of the positive impact of the Me Too movement. In Exodus chapter 22, verses 16, uh, in 20, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 22 through 27, uh, we have these words uh, from Moses. If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. It sounds to me that God's pretty, <laughs> in that day, and that was the civil agreement of that day, this is pretty crucial for God's people to say, look at it. I don't want people fooling around and messing around because it impacts the family. He says, if a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with a woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. And really what he's talking about here is adultery here. He's saying, look at adultery, and that's so accepted now in our culture. It's like, why would we even mention it? And he said, this is horrible. And basically here, you've got to read into the text here, I think, responsibly, that it was a consensual relationship. It wasn't just the man. It was also the woman. And he was saying, look, this should not be done, will not be done. And can you imagine if, if this was the kind of penalty, death or something close to that, how often would adultery happen in our culture? But then he goes on and says in verse 23, if there's a girl who's a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he was violated uh, his neighbor's wife, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. And again, you're, we're, we're talking about a consensual relationship here. And, and he said, look, at th- this, is, this is unacceptable. And we all hold people accountable for, for giving in. And, and really he's saying here, if, if the woman cries out, which you'll see in a moment, that changes everything. And in fact, that's what he says in verse 25 through 27. But if in the field the man finds the girl who is engaged... And the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die. So, so now we're talking about the male predator. And you need to understand this whole engagement or betrothal in the Israel culture was it, when you were betrothed to another person, uh, there was kind of a year space between when the time of the relationship was consummated, which allowed the man to prepare the house and, and, and the woman to prepare for being a, a wife uh, to this one she was betrothed to. But it was so validating when you're betrothed is that, that they were considered married. In fact, they would each call each other husband and wife. Uh, but he was saying here, if someone predates, uh, it becomes a predator to this woman, then and, and she does not... Uh, a consent to that physical relationship, then the, the man is held fully accountable. But you shall do nothing to the girl. There is no sin in the girl worthy of death. 
For just as a man rises against his neighbor and murders him, so is this case. When he found out her in the field, the engaged girl cried out, but there was no one to save her. And really, I, I, what we're speaking here is that, that we, we need to hold people accountable. Uh, she could not cry out, uh, but now we to cry out on her behalf and hold that person accountable. Uh, you know, th- these are strong words from the living God to, to understand that relationship, physical relationship, are precious in his sight. And, and they're a holy connection between two people. And we as, as God's people, we ought, to, we ought to be praying for our culture and our government to see the, the relationship between a man and a woman as, as being holy and special. In Romans 13.3 it says this, for, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. And it's been a good thing where many men now have lost positions of power and responsibility and celebrity uh, because they've been irresponsible in how they've tre- treated women. So, so what's the point this morning? What is it God wants us to do? He, he, he wants us to trust him and obey him and follow his eternal principles so that we, we might live lives that honor him and God knows what's best and that's what's best for us. And you can see that throughout Scripture and throughout even the commandments of God, seeing the perspective of why he gave that law. And the consequences are not the same for us today, but we need to realize that God holds people accountable. And we ought to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. But, but, but what's the why? The, the what is found in Scripture? Why? Well, let me just put it this way in the few minutes we have left. It's so that the true God in his wisdom might be known. The, the Israel people, God's covenant people, as he brought them into the promised land, that they, they were to be a lighthouse for God, showing to people what it meant to know the one and only true God. And, and, and these commandments were given in a specific time to a specific people. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have these straightforward words from Moses. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The, the Lord God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, even though they were uh, from the bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have made it with you. And so this was a particular time that extended beyond those first years, but it was when God said, look, I want you to be a light to the world. And he gave them face-to-face at that time. But why did he do that? If you flip over a little bit in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, we have these words from Moses to his people. See, I have taught you statutes and judgment, just as the Lord my God commanded me. And why? That you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. And this was your marching orders to get what God had promised. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear the statue and say, Surely the great nation is a wise and understanding people. And so as they look at God's people back in the Old Testament, God's people now in the New Testament, they they don't look at us and say, Look, there's something different about them. Uh, not, not that they're smarter, have a higher IQ, or, or, or not necessarily they are financially more uh, prosperous, but there's something about them and how they live that's they're wise, and they have an understanding about what really is important. 
And then he goes out in verse 7, he says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God, whenever we call on him? So they're saying not, not only are, are they a people in which they experience the wisdom from God, but they have intimacy with God. So, so often people talk about having a relationship with God, but for them it's, it, it, it's so abstract and it's so depersonalized. You say, look, if we're walking with God, it means that we know his wisdom and, and we have an intimate relationship with him. And also you experience that he is a just God. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law, which I am setting before you today? God wants his people to, to live out his wisdom so people can look at their lives as being special and distinct. The wisdom of God, the intimacy with God, and experiencing the justice of God. And this has been true in the New Testament as well, as we see living out that we are people who know God. In Romans eleven thirty three and 36, it says this, For who has known the mind of the Lord or become his counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Marvelous are his judgments and powerful are his ways. In Ephesians 3.10, it says this, So that the manifold wisdom of God might be known through the church in the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's kind of a, a verse that we could kind of try to unpack, but simply says this, as, as we live out the wisdom of God as God's people in the church, which Jesus set up, as we think of all that's wrong on the outside, it needs to be right on the inside with God's people. And, and it begins with each one of us, but then it begins with relating to each other in that same way. Uh, everything that we read and hear about in our world today should not happen in the church. Uh, there, there should be no hint of racism in the church. Uh, there should be no hint of anyone not valuing every life, from the cradle to the grave, from the womb uh, to the tomb. Uh, there, there should be no place where somehow some people uh, get, get, uh, get away with things they shouldn't get away with, it, but we held, hold everyone to a fair and just experience for what they've done or haven't done. And we come to that place where, where every, every relationship matters and, and that scene and what we do. But why we do it so that people can see we know God. We're experiencing his wisdom in life. We live out his justice because he's just and wants us to be just. So what's the point this morning? Are we a people that are committed to doing the what, even the hard things in Scripture? And when we feel demotivated, we, we just want to give up. Are we going to be convinced there's a greater purpose for us to do the will of God is that so that people can see the true God and that you can understand his wisdom for life and understand that his way is always best. Let's be a people who are ready for when the, when the flames of of an event like happened in our street this last week where the flames are going everywhere. Well, what do we need to do? And then when we look around hoping somebody else will do something, that we'll be the person who does something. Even if, if we find out later it wasn't probably the best way to, to take out an electrical fire, but God I, God, I want to be a person who when I see a need, I want to meet it because that's what you want us to do. And the why you want us to do so that people can see God living in us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we really pray as we, as we, as we understand that you, that, that you see all lives as important to you in the womb and outside the womb. And as you see that every relationship 
uh, out in the community and within the home is, is something that, that needs to be a place where lives are protected and, and nurtured and cared for. When, when we see that you want your people, your church to live out your word so that people can see that we know a God. We know a, guy that, a God that knows what's right. And, and we know the God that revealed himself so completely in Jesus that we have surrendered our lives to him for him to be the Lord of our lives and the Savior of our lives. Help us to live for you that people can see who you are. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.